This fellow Ronaldo is a cod. Arsene Wenger's been in Japan for a year. He doesn't know anything about English football. I will love it if we beat them. It's the history of the Tottenham. I have nothing to say. I'm so sorry, I have nothing to say. Con Giovanni, yeah, incredible. Dribble, 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 dribble. Penalties? What is penalties? <laughs> Who are Man United? There have been many magical twists and turns, but we're almost at the finish line. The Champions League Final Four have been decided. Between them, they've won 14 European Cups, which is especially impressive when you consider one of those clubs is Tottenham Hotspur. How do they even get there? How do they do it? I, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> they, to be fair, you know they they were in a group of Barcelona who were still in competition, so that's that's now the strongest group I think because uh, Liverpool were in with PSG, you got knocked out in the last sixteen, and Ajax Bayern Munich got knocked out in the last sixteen as well. So that that group wins the crown as the best group in the Champions League this season. Oh, it did, by, it, it did by have far, Inter Milan like, if you want to, yeah, top PSV it in it, so. Well, I don't know. I actually, I well, yeah. I get what you're where you're coming from with it. That it has been sometimes those groups produce uh, teams later on down the line. I'm trying to think of a last time. That when this when was the last happened. time the final happened between two teams in the same group? Oh, because '99 is the obvious one. But Bayern must have and been. yeah, Bayern and Man United then. But no, you see, you see, they wouldn't happen that often. Yeah, because I wouldn't. Because the draws were such that you'd be completely separated. Like for instance, um, until when they switched to two stages of groups up until when 2004. 2003, four, I think it was the first season without two. Without groups. two stages of groups, the groups would be separated. Yeah. Quarterfinals and semi-finals, so that you wouldn't have overlap between them. Yeah, you're you're going back a long time before you find any kind of through line that would re- show repeating fixtures. Yeah, I'm trying to think because like yeah, last week like Real Madrid when they won it, they wouldn't have been playing against Atletico in the group round. And... No, no, no. Yeah, it's going back a long time, and but that's kind of a symptom of the the way the Champions League has gone in recent years, where we're having one one and last season we had two lucky dip teams in Liverpool and Roma getting to the semi-finals, but. Uh, now we're getting what would you it, call it seems to be a reset if anything that we have one massive club there in Barcelona a club that you'd expect to get to a semi-final who haven't actually been to a semi-final yeah since they won it yeah. since three years at least 2015 yeah now. so this is four seasons later or the, the fourth season since they got into a semi-final so even they are not you know the, the what they were when they got to however many six or seven consecutive semi-finals under Pep and yeah because uh, the, the, their last semi-final was against uh, Bayern Munich under against Pep wasn't it the, yeah. the time when uh, Boateng fell into that massive hole yeah that <laughs> Messi put him through yeah the, the earth swallowed him up it almost worked that it almost worked but the, yeah, we, we could talk about Pep a bit uh, about Jonathan Wilson wrote a very interesting piece last week about Pep and his this when does bad luck or explainable defeats become a complex? There's a few teams who have these sort of complexes, like we Benfica are the obvious ones who cannot win any European trophy since like despite being in numerous finals, being in winning positions in those finals, being by far the better team and then ending up losing on every single occasion since Bella Koopman left in the season. Even Juve themselves, they've they've lost a significant number of European Cup finals yeah. as well. Even and like Liverpool in the Premier League have like they've gotten they've challenged for the league in the last yeah. twenty nine years. But they just seem so to easy. always hit a really good team. I don't. I don't think Liverpool are, are at that level where it's a complex at the moment. But there was one other team this year that was spoken about that they have a complex when it comes to, 
Well, you could argue PSG and just, you know, yeah, holding yeah, on to Leeds. Exactly. That's kind of the PSG, I think, is the one that maybe came to mind at some point. Like, if they couldn't beat the main idol in this case, I felt like, oh, they'll never beat yeah. anyone again. Yeah, it kind of it kind of builds into you and into your psyche and you kind of, you can't escape. It becomes it. a part of the club's history yeah. and tradition. And it was Barcelona had that for a very long time. Yeah, until 92, Cup. yeah. Yeah, that they were, that they, for a team of such illustrious history and as such amazing players and such, you know, a, a position of great importance and power in European football. They only won one European Cup, and that was in nineteen ninety two. And then since then, they've added what four? Four more, yeah. Four since more Messi since Messi, yeah. And that's the only thing that won them those four. You, you might, you might argue. I know, he, I'd, I'd give Frank Rijkaard, yeah, two thousand six. Well, Messi still, didn't he, play the final. Yeah, because he was injured, but yeah. he won the semi final. If you remember, Vaguely. against Milan, uh, like they and you know. A lot of circumstances went their way to win that 2006 final as well. But yeah, the others certainly you have to attribute somewhat, if not entirely, to Messi's uh, presence. Pretty much, yeah. Like, like he, although that team, team was still great. Great, teams, great te- All of them great teams in their own way. Like Ronaldinho in 2006, and you had the triumphant of Eto and uh, Henri in 2009 yeah and they still had Xavi and Iniesta Busquets the the true line through all those and like the the 2011 the 2011 final is one of the all time great performances by a side in a cup final yeah well well I would I would argue that the 2012 Euro Spain yeah Spain Spain, Spain, yeah when they destroyed Italy without without getting out of second gear and without Italy playing horrendously badly they just especially when they met in the groups beforehand speaking of um, yeah finals with the two teams from the same group yeah exactly we it all moved it back around in, happens a lot more in international tournaments like I mean, <laughs> yeah it does like uh it it's 1954 hungry west germany it could they it, it, the groups it, and then again the final it kind of happened in 2018 except it was the third place playoff as yeah, well yeah that happens and turkey played brazil in 2002 in the groups and in the semi-finals Semi-final, yeah. like it, it does happen more often than you would expect in international tournaments because of the way the draw system works which as I said before, they should have open open draws. Oh, and you're all for the open draw, but then uh, the Premier League. Well, I suppose Premier League slash Champions League but is before before you go on to it. When does Pep Singh become? Oh yeah, yeah a okay. complex because I think we're at that point. It's it's 2011 since the last time yeah. he was won the Champions League. Eight years, yeah. And but every one of his defeats since then, like he wasn't working for one of those years. But he had the semi final. They had the volcano, the Icelandic eruption in two thousand ten. Yeah, that was that was just unfortunate. It was, but the, every one of them are unfortunate in some way, with the exception of maybe. But that's out, outside forces being unfortunate in the way that you can't predict a volcano erupting. Yeah, but true. Anything. But you, you you could say the same about some of the weird and wonderful, like the bus thing, like, could have could have affected Man City. But that's that's what they were going for those fans yeah. with that, and they should have been preparing for something. Like it was talked about beforehand that oh the Liverpool fans are going to do something to try rile yeah, up the atmosphere. But like there's explanation there's explanations like refereeing decisions like last season that they had a goal ruled out incorrectly yeah. and that could have changed the course of the tie because it was right before the second half would have made it 3-2 at that point exactly. but yeah that's harder to really judge though because Liverpool still could have scored in that second half yeah they could have, have yeah, and it's all, it's all could be and what if but like what is it with Pep now because like they he, the, the away goal rule is cruel but they shouldn't have conceded three goals to Spurs last but week. they also could have just scored in like it, it, both teams have the away goals rule so I don't think that's really an excuse really yeah yeah and they played so badly in the first leg and then they came back but it, it reversed the trend of Pep's because generally Pep's uh, no, well, not all of them because the last season of Bayern was a crazy match and very similar. Like the Bayern Munich's last uh, quarter final that Pep was in charge for in the Champions League that they lost to Atletico Madrid, 
was very similar in that there was just like no one defending. That's just score. There was missed penalties. There was uh, goal scored for both sides. There was roughhousing going on. There was play acting going on. And it was a... They let it go on their wheelhouse. It was, exactly. It was a crazy match and Byron let that happen. Pep let that happen. And then against Monaco, the following... Was it the following year then? That was at Man City, yeah. That that was one of the craziest ties I've ever seen. But it's exactly the same as the Spurs match in that it just got out of hand. And for someone who's such a control freak as Pep Guardiola, does... Is it fair to say at this point that he's overthinking things I think it is fair to say that I think the, one of the reasons why the he's match, losing control by overthinking it's like yeah that's what I'm about to say yeah, the, the reason why it got so out of control is because of Pep and he, he kind of mistakenly I, I don't think he did this purposefully made it crazy like you know when he put they first of all he put themselves in a position where they had to win this match they couldn't yeah. go in with a draw or anything because they were one down from losing the first leg which he overthought we thought we discussed last week yeah and then, like the like that, we we sat here and we watched the uh, first twenty minutes of that, and we were just losing our minds. Like it was so goals, bizarre. Every show was a goal. But like a part of that was just the way they were set up because they didn't play Fernandinho, yeah. and Pep said that was a tactical decision, not an injury decision, yeah. which we were kind of wondering before the match started. Then they they didn't play Sane. They like he didn't play De Bruyne on the first leg, but then he did play De Bruyne in the second leg, yeah. and then De Bruyne was amazing. Yeah. Just which even further proves like why did he not play in the first leg? Three assists and he was hungry as well and he was quick to every ball. And those those weren't like simple Busquets like assists when Messi scored no. that goal against Real Madrid, but like they were all amazing. Yeah. Especially the third one where he yeah. drew past like four players and yeah. played in Aguero. Like that was one of the great performances from him certainly and yeah. from a Man City player. In and the it still League. wasn't good enough to go. Yeah. Through. Like it just the mind boggles then with like some of his just decisions and then he like I think he should have started Lamarck Laporte but then Laporte's the one that gives away or yeah, makes the, the crucial you, errors for the two have, goals. You have those type of, but that's what where it comes back to the complex thing is like, you how would you legislate for how does Pep legislate against one of his most consistent performers, someone who doesn't routinely make that many mistakes, let alone mistakes as kind of juvenile as the ones he made against Tottenham where he's just being stupid dribbling too far putting the ball too far just running out of position very quickly which is what he did for the, the mistakes that he made like that's not Pep's fault though but everyone is the but maybe maybe it's a little more complex than that maybe it's something to do with the way that Laporte's maybe it's to do with the minutes he's been having maybe he's playing too much maybe Pep is encouraging him in a weird way or something like we don't, we don't know <laughs> like, like man, manage, man management is still a part of it maybe Laporte wasn't focused enough yeah maybe like and certainly yeah, I don't know is it a thing that they're winning and we'll, we'll talk about their league game like they had a rematch the, the, yeah the rematch was so bizarre because this 4-3 was one of the most dramatic matches yeah. to have ever happened with the help of VAR at the end uh, for yeah, the drama. So, yeah, certainly did that. Uh, and then the 1-0 win that they had over Tottenham on Saturday afternoon was one of the least dramatic matches I've ever so, watched. It felt routine. It felt like that match, the semi-final of the FA Cup, where, where uh, Man, Man City Brighton. just kind of yeah, brushed by the side, did the bare minimum, did just enough to win the tie. Like, they weren't impressive, but no. they were enough. They, yeah, they but they were controlled, and they saved strong in defence, and Spurs never threatened, not that they were necessarily going to in that match. But is it a case that it, maybe it isn't the complex, it's a side effect or a kind of it's it's inflicted on Man City because they win so much like a steamroller over... Like when teams get steamrollered, generally speaking, you say, oh, they got rolled over and they got six or seven were scored against them. But Man City is more like a steamroller when it's already halfway through its job, when it's a flat piece of road and it's in the middle and it just keeps on going. And that's how Man City, or Pep Guardiola's sides tend to be in the league. 
And then when you throw in these end-of-season big-pressure games against teams who are up for it and are no, no longer in fear of the Man City juggernaut or the Pep Guardiola team, whatever team it may be, juggernaut, you get these different performances and Man City don't know how to deal with it. So Pep tries to do something about it and then creates an environment where players who are more up first that they're playing against, like the Spurs player was were last week, do something that Pep isn't prepared to do and do something that the players are not prepared by Pep to deal with, which is, oh, usually I have you know an extra five to ten seconds to deal with this pass and to dribble a bit more out of defence. Now suddenly I don't. What do I do now? Oh, I've made a mistake. Or Ederson in goal, who was not good for at least three of the four goals they conceded over the two legs. He, he was not good for them at all. Like He was actually quite poor. His positioning, his ability to shot, to stop the ball, it can't be given confidence to the defenders in front of him. Like, And is that because he doesn't face that many shots for a lot of the season? Is it a concentration issue on his part? Has he not been prepared correctly for it? Well, the other thing as well is like the he, Pep, the way Pep trains his players, they're almost taught not to think. Yeah. And that, I think, gets to them when it comes to a big match and there's a huge atmosphere there there's huge pressure there at the very least that they have to actually try maybe do something different yeah. to beat a team that are being that bit more determined that yeah. bit more encouraged by what they've seen that now that they have to actually think for themselves they don't know necessarily yeah. what to do because they're so ingrained with not having to do that and then there's someone like Kevin De Bruyne who knows how to think uh, does something that the rest of the team isn't necessarily uh, prepared for or isn't necessarily binary not binary but you know the Man City in the first leg just passed the ball sideways and sideways and sideways and didn't really create much and played the expected ball yeah. while De Bruyne who wasn't playing comes in the second match and then just does something that like he'll drive through the middle when a straight pass is on and maybe that's not necessarily what Pep wants but it's what will work in the situation given and it makes you think of the two contrasting styles of football management for many many years it was dominant that the player, oh, you'll go out and enjoy yourself, exp- express yourself, do this, you know, the Harry Redknapp, don't confuse them. Have too fun, lads. Yeah, exa- put, set them up, put the best players on the field, and if you put the best players on the field, they'll know what to do. And then that is one style of management, and then you have the other style of management, which is very rigorous, which is the Pep Guardiola style, which is you control almost every, you're like playing, your video, uh, playing a video game. You're controlling every single aspect of what your players do. You're on the sideline for 90 minutes of the match, shouting, roaring abuse. Or abuse is the right word, but it sounds. It looks like abuse a lot of the time. Roaring instructions at your players, telling them exactly what to do. Pressing Being a buttons. part of the game. Exactly, and it's what uh, Klopp has done. It's what Pep has done. It, Mourinho does it from time to time, but generally speaking, Mourinho would also be very regimented in a different style. As he puts the players out there already knowing exactly what they are meant to do. And he leaves a few players out of that to express themselves. And like in his later Chelsea years, it was Aiden Hazard. Earlier on in his career, it was, you know... Schneider. Schneider or Ronaldo at Real Madrid. Or Lampard or something. Yeah, exactly. So, but then you look, at, to bring it back to the Champions League, you look at Ajax. And if you listen to, ever listen to Graham Hunter's podcast, the whatever the big interview or big chair or whatever the yeah I know the one you're talking about yeah where he interviews like influential people in football usually former pros about the way they play and, and traditionally the the great all pros of years gone by not that Gordon Strachan we introduced him in there but Gordon Strachan is one who, who I distinctly remember talking about this is when he was young and this is a story that lines where I'm going with this when he was young he used to just play a, a little like a tennis ball up against the wall and just kick it and, and like, do this for hours and hours and that's how he learned technique and he learned how to, to deal with things and he used to think it made him think about the game when he was doing something so monotonous that he was training himself and he says that's what he tries to get younger players to do when he's coaching them and that's kind of gone out of the play because they're all 
being told how to do something in a grander scheme. They're not focusing on themselves as much at an earlier age. They're focusing on the group at an early age, which isn't necessarily the most conducive thing to learning. And this leads me into Dennis Burkamp, who is a youth coach at Ajax and has been since he retired, whatever, 10 years ago. And his thing, even when he was at Arsenal at the, before he retired, was young players are being ca- taught wrong. They're being taught, and it's not necessarily bad. Like they, he doesn't didn't want to go back to the olden days when you know it used to be Paul Scholes being locked into a washing machine or dryer and turned it on because you know that was the laugh and the old players would crush the young players and crush their spirit and break them like it's in the army or something. But now he thought that their play, younger players are being too. Modern called isn't a nice word, but Molly called whatever, you know, being precious and you have to play the certain way and then at a certain age, very young, they're, they're t- treated like adults, but not given any of the responsibility of adults. They're just, you know, given a high wage, they're given the responsibility of playing football and they don't have any know-how to go along with it. And that kind of works in the Pep Guardiola style. is like these people are blank. They'll do what you're told. You pay them a lot of money. They don't t- think for themselves, but they'll do what you're told. And nine times out of ten, that will get you results. But at Ajax, Burkham Institute is a different thing where these players are going to be taught how to play football first. And they're going to be allowed to express themselves with the football first before any thought or rhyme or reason of systems is brought into it. Of any, okay, you're a centre-back, you're a sweeper, you're a left wing-back, you're a, and that's all the position you're playing. And that's how Pep likes his teams. But at Ajax, which is the home of that thinking, of that systematic thinking of total football, he has thrown it's an that, interesting name they've, yeah exactly they've they've thrown that system out and the likes of players who grew up with that system but maybe had a bit more freedom to their on their own time to, to learn their own learn their own trade the likes of Overmars of Burkamp of De Boer in the past of Coleman in the past of Van der Sar who's there now of the you know up and down the whole hierarchy of Ajax at the moment there's players and coaches and what's the name of the current coach I completely uh, ten, Eric Ten Hag Eric Ten Hag the, his predecessor who wasn't Peter Bosch uh, I don't know who was in there between Ten Hag and Bosch uh, or it was Peter Bosch I was thinking yeah about. yeah Peter Bosch yeah, the yeah Europa League final Europa League final like and you know Coleman was before then him as well and he was in charge for and some DeBoer, time DeBoer yeah yeah and DeBoer sorry apologies DeBoer came b- b- between those and Van Basten and they were like basically you name Dutch royalty of football yeah. in the last 20 years and they've all had some senior enough position at Ajax in the last 10 years or so but they've decided to change that and you look at Ajax and the way they play and it's the while not the complete antithesis of Pep Guardiola in that it's not Mourinho-esque everyone Catanaccio everyone behind the ball yeah that is, that, is Milan side, that was the true antithesis of yes that. exactly and you say everyone behind the ball and you, you defend with your life and hopefully you'll score a goal because someone will make a mistake because you'll put pressure on them in that way. the ball you'll fear Ajax, is... yeah exactly Ajax and the new style of football and these players are now going to be spread around Europe and probably the coaches are going to be at spread Barcelona. around Europe and, yeah at Barcelona and the same thing will restart that maybe we're getting a reset on Pep's era and it's coming to an end, and we're going back to a more individualistic style of football where you have fantastic players, but with them you still have that modern system where you have the likes of uh, Frank de Jong, but then you have the, the fullbacks behind him or Daly Blind behind him, and the likes of Dahlberg or Nur, what, what's his name? Nuris, I can't. He's David Neres. David Neres in front of him. And they're not as good as Frankie de Jong but they're working the system because they've been taught that. 
and the likes of these other fantastic players who know how to do something different. They're not constricted in the position where, okay, I'm Ige Gundogan for Man City. And I have shown in the past and I'm able to have dynamic thinking. I've played at, at Borussia Dortmund. I've won leagues at Borussia Dortmund. I've been in Champions League final and scored with Borussia Dortmund. And it wasn't because I passed the ball two yards to my left or to my right or backwards. It's because I did stuff different and I played true balls and I tried to do something different a la Tony Kroos, a la Mesedoso. But Pep Guardiola, and this is just because it works Pep Guardiola, probably at the detriment of Dungong's career and maybe injuries have had a say in that as well. He has become this kind of metronomic player that does nothing. The, the, Tiago Alcantara, which at just times... Just keeps things ticking along. He keeps thinking, and that's great at times, and there's a time and place for every type of player, and certainly there, there's a time and place for that type of player in this, in this type of football that Pep plays. But you've lost something there, and you've lost something that Ajax have in spades, which is ingenuity and that bit of spontaneity and dynamism. Yeah, and like that, that machine-like thing is kind of what, what we'll talk about later as well. Like yeah. machine-like uh, manner that City yeah. play is just... But it's a little that, tedious to watch. Yeah, and I think maybe, and I, like we've loved it at times when it works, it is almost better than anything else in football. When that Barcelona team purred, you know, and did stuff to the likes of Real Madrid and to Manchester United in the, in the finals that you speak of, it was fantastic. Like as a, even as a neutral, and when his like I remember Bayern Munich did, like very well destroying Man City when they were I think league champions at the Etihad and destroying Roma in Italy. And it was they were just phenomenal, but then you have like the performance that Ajax put on against Juve, which was similarly take, like it was breathtaking. It, yeah, and I take it like it was very. It's it's funny how these cycles happen because it's almost, and it was Ajax as well. If you go back to Ajax in around ninety four when they're playing the Eredivisie, when they, right before they really blew up on the international stage, right before they won the Champions League, and the young players led by Yari Lichtman and the like, and you had the the Boer brothers, and you had Reisinger, and you had. Edgar Davids and Overmars and you know Van der Sar and Goal you have Blind there the older Blind the Danny Blind they they were just unstoppable and it wasn't because they were just being boring and boring the opposition into submission the rope a dope system of just pummeling the opposition with passes death by a spoon exactly by a thousand cuts death by a spoon <laughs> you know, just tap someone with a spoon over and over yeah and, over. and eventually you'll break through the skull yeah <laughs> into the brain the gooey brain <laughs> in, the, in the middle but like instead of that they were like that Ajax team was all up and, bo- up and about you they were physical they put in a hard tackle they'd win the ball back and it's all these kind of stereotypes and cliches that you hear from all pros saying that's the way to play football a nice hard tackle a nice long ball but they did it when it when they needed to do it they didn't it all do made it when sense. they needed did need to it was a hugely efficient style of football that's why Louis van Gaal was considered the best manager in the world of football that's why everyone was after him that's why Barcelona sacked Bobby Robson after winning three trophies in one season and doing extremely well again Ronaldo old Ronaldo like larger Ronaldo to score 50 goals for Barcelona and they got rid of him and moved him upstairs because they could get Louis van Gaal that's why Manchester United originally had hired Louis van Gaal in 2002 at Manchester United when Ferguson was meant to retire the first time and that's why they went back for him even though many years had passed and Van Hal had changed into a much different manager <laughs> at that stage and got him in whenever 2012 or 14 uh, 2014 yeah after the World Cup yeah like because he was something special and his thoughts were something special I don't think that, that I can never pronounce this guy's name the Ajax manager Eric Ten Hag Eric Ten Hag has the same kind of um 
aura yeah. or you know kind of force of nature behind it that Louis van Gaal did I don't think at all I don't think anyone has <laughs> but I think that whole Ajax side of football has not for the first time because it's this is at least the third time they've managed to do it they're redefining global football and they may be pulling us away from this like I know Pep hated it but this tic taka style of football might be coming to an end at the very top of that, the game. that's why it is kind of a shame that we won't see them play each other in the semi-finals that'll be Tottenham yeah but Richard Bajicino like he, he's come up with the a, 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 an interesting kind of side of Tottenham like he's managed to blend youth in with kind of experienced players he's he's gotten Ajax players in there he's got Davison Sanchez Ericsson Alderweireld so there is a nice reunion there yeah It'll be and like he's obviously sought after by Man United or Real Madrid, Bayern Munich this week were linked with them. Uh, I'm sure Juve have been linked with them in the past or other yeah, Italian yeah. clubs. So like this huge, hugely sought after manager, uh, like what do, what will he use? What will he devise? What strategy will he devise to take down this seemingly unstoppable Ajax side? It'll be very interesting. I think with Pochettino, I think he, like I, I. What do you think? Do you think Ajax or Spurs are the favourites for the semi? Uh, as favourites, I'd put Ajax. But that is your—is that your head talking or your heart talking? I—I I think it's my head. I—I I, I disagree. I think Spurs will go into this favourites, and I, I think they will try and boss the game. I think I like Spurs do not have the ability they had two years ago of just gag impressing the life out of the opposition. They don't have the ability to go and chase the ball, put pressure on the opposition in the first, you know, in the goalies area, like just outside the box and where the centre halves would normally be. They don't have that anymore. They don't have the players, they don't have the pace, they don't have the fitness, fitness because it is April. It is traditionally the time where Spurs fall apart. And and they have injuries like Harry Kane. Yeah, out. exactly. Kane won't be there. They also, like, fair enough, this Ajax defence is not as good as Man City's defence. I don't think anyone... Even with the mistakes... It, it, it has clear weaknesses. Yeah, the fullbacks are not as good. Like, yeah. David Bin can pass the ball, he can't run. Uh, the keeper, I think he's a decent shot stopper, but he is subject to crosses. And Spurs have the ability to send in crosses and long range shots, which he's also parried into the net as well. If you remember against Real Madrid, and you know yeah. they can get caught on the break as Juventus did it to them. If you're on both, for the two goals, yeah. yeah. So you know, or to the att- the attacks that led to those goals, certainly for the second for the second one. Um, so I think Juventus or not Juventus, I think Spurs will go into this as favourites at least initially. I think that plays into Ajax. I think Ajax want to be underdogs in this. They want to do another Goliath killing, and they'll be David in the in the story. And they want to go in with their slingshot and you know pass a few balls around and get in their face. I don't think Spurs would be at all prepared to play a team like Ajax. There's not one team in the Premier League that plays like this Ajax team. There's not one team that harries that that harries that presses that stays on them that is capable of being physical. Even though these are lightweight, young, quick players, there's not a big like. There's not Marco van Bommel in this Ajax side. There's not a big... Uh, Nigel de Jong. Nigel de Jong, Fernandinho. There is no one in the side that can, like, the old general, the old uh, quartermaster that would go in with a dub two-footed slide and tackle. In the first, first person I see getting two-footed. Yeah, right Troy away. Deeney, exactly. Get, get amongst them. Get but the every out. single one of them does it. And they're little little guys, like... And you, you wouldn't think, like, the like, tallest player in the side is... What, uh the defender what's his name the captain Matthias Dillet who was 19 19 years old and you know he'll get up amongst you but he'll also pass the ball every one of them and this is what separates them from other teams who might be a high pressing side out of Spurs or Dortmund who also were defeated by Spurs these guys will get up into your face and run after you but they'll also play the ball off you as well and they'll tackle you 
and they're, they're capable of they're more than a one trick pony which is something that I don't think any side in the Premier League is more than a one trick pony and I'm, I'm open to correction but you could almost define what every single team in the Premier League does like Spurs press if they don't have the ball they play long balls uh, Manchester United play a counter attacking game Liverpool play press and if they don't they play a very possession based game this season Man City play an entirely possession based game and they have the propensity to play long balls or they have the ability to play long balls if it needs to be like you could go through the entire league and go like that but none of them are the, have the ability to play a high pressing game a long ball game a passing football game a counter attacking game uh, a, 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 a physical game, game a physical game a game where you get full backs down and then wing backs on top of the full backs which makes no sense but they do that a game where they completely leave like they play a false nine and have no attacking players at all and have everyone running from midfield for the wingers to go back the classic Dutch system they have the ability to and have done they did it against Real Madrid and against Juventus at different times in the same match playing the different systems like Tadic has scored has he got up to 30 goals yet this season? Uh, I don't know but Ajax have scored 155 goals in 51 games last I read <laughs> that's just so absolutely crazy three game. Like they, there's not a team and it's not like we're like this team isn't Barcelona 2011 or 2009 or 2006 they, they very much feel like an Ajax 95 at yeah, this rate but they're not show stopping in the way that like that Ajax team in 95 had I don't know how many Champions Leagues they all those players went on to win but it had Edmund van der Sar in goal it had like Reisinger it had but, but again that is, that is also hindsight as well. like these, these players have their careers ahead of them yeah as well. but I don't think like I don't think it doesn't have the same breadth of people but it has yeah. the same peaks of people with, yeah. which I still I think they're all yeah but I think they're all at their absolute peak and like this could be something special this isn't Monaco of two years ago this isn't Roma of last year or Liverpool of last year yeah. where they're kind of they got a run together they got a bit lucky they're decent enough to they got miss. a good draw or something yeah. like they've beaten Real Madrid and won four of the last five and they beat Juve who signed the player that won that carried that team they won schooled four of the last five. Bayern Munich in the group stages yeah they did that as well they yeah. played against a Benfica side that's now you know probably going to at least get to a final a losing final of the Champions of the Euro- Europa they're League. out of the Europa League or they got knocked out by Frankfurt, but yeah, yeah they almost. Yeah, got they there. almost the first leg. They almost got they like they collapsed in the second leg. Yeah, there a little exactly, which is their. The, that's but, that's what Benfica could do. But they, they are a team like they're playing in a league against the strongest. They're playing in the strongest area to visit that there's been in fifteen at least, years. Yeah, probably you're probably going back to when Feyenoord last won the UEFA Cup, which is about fifteen. Or when PSV got to a Champions League semi final in yeah. two thousand five. Yeah, exactly. You're going back a long way because Feyenoord are also a top quality team. Who Spurs did knock out. But this Feyenoord, the Feyenoord team that Spurs played, who PSV. did, uh, sorry, the PSV's team that Spurs played in the group stages to bring it back to the Champions League, is they they play a, a a kind of more straightforward version of this Ajax. It's very like it. We could go very deep into this. It's like yeah, I, I, I think Dutch we need, I think we need to move on at this point <laughs> and maybe do another topic. We'll, maybe we'll see maybe. how we'll see Ajax if they get to the final. We'll, yeah. uh, we'll have more analysis of Ajax before the Ajax. <laughs> yeah. Play. Spurs next uh, but the top four race I know you want to talk about <laughs> the the much more depressing thing that Tottenham have to live with uh, although it seems like the, they might get to Tottenham despite might, losing yeah. so there's four teams in it what's, what's the table at the moment we have uh, you look it up there and I'll just describe what happened this weekend uh, Tottenham lost one nil as we've kind of slightly gone over there earlier uh, then on Sunday uh, Manchester went to Everton and got absolutely humiliated lost four nil one of the worst performances they've had in quite some time which is saying a lot because you know they've had a good number of bad performances the last five or six years and then uh, we all thought that we all thought that Arsenal would then you know they have a nice home game we like their their, their home record's good they like a good home win they're playing Crystal Palace 
Chris Paz like to roll over for the big teams every now and then. And then Chris Paz won 3-2. So it uh, leaves Tottenham in third, Arsenal fourth. Is that correct? Yeah, so Tottenham are in third with 67 points still, despite losing however many of the last few games. Arsenal have 66 points because they lost. Uh, they're ahead on goal difference uh, by quite a bit over Chelsea. Like the, Chelsea aren't going to make up that goal difference. So yeah, they will have, Chelsea play tonight. They're, they're all level on games played. You see that? So before have, Burnley. Yeah, before Burnley because we record night before Burnley match. And then this, Man- this podcast will go down as a PB. Yes. <laughs> and then Man United are kind of out of it. They're they're only two points further back, but. Man United in the next they play four more matches two one against Man City and the one against uh, Chelsea yeah both so, at home though yeah but Man if City that's any Man, Man City have to win and Chelsea have to like that if he if they if Chelsea lose that match like that's probably yeah the whoever Sarri. loses the Man United Chelsea match is out of top four for certain no but I think that might be the end of Sarri so like we won't necessarily get into predictions right now but I I, I expect Man City I wouldn't be surprised if Man City win. Uh, against Manchester United this midweek and Man United beat Chelsea then right okay but then for like but like Man do, United do, are six you, at the can moment can we speak a bit about the Everton the matches at the weekend yeah let, let, let's fo- focus more on that because Man United were dreadful uh, against Everton but that were was... they were they any different than they've been like this is the team that like got hammered by a like and you said Barcelona were not very good in the first leg. They they got hammered by them over the two legs. And yeah, it was four matches. four nil over two legs. And that was a Barcelona side that never got out of second gear. Yeah, they never had to really put anything on it. Yeah, they Messi kinda, just kind of was like, all right, okay, I'm gonna yeah. score now. Yeah, and like Coutinho took a pot shot top corner. Yeah. Like De Gea got awful awful pelters in Spain. They like really like this. They really is, don't like him in Spain. Yeah, they was like this is a terrible performance by the so called number one. Well, he's made some terrible mistakes for Spain. In fairness to him, yeah, he, he, he did a poor World Cup. He did three goals in one match for his. Yeah, fault, and then the second goal against Barcelona, he probably should not have let that in. Yeah, but the Manchester United team were terrible. But then you're against Barcelona, Messi's playing. Yeah. But Barcelona, Everton are no Barcelona then. No, but like well, Lucas Signe. Yeah, well, they do have a few. They have uh, your man as well, Yerry Mina yeah. and Andre Gomez, who was suspended. Yes, it doesn't matter. Yeah, they are Barcelona B, though. But, like, really. well, yeah. Everton, like, we were talking about Everton earlier in the season, and if you, Everton fans have been horrifically critical of uh, Marco Silva this season, and but, they really hate him. Like, they really don't like him. The thing but is, look though, at them now, they're pole position for seventh place. Yeah, but the thing is, like, it's so bizarre because they, they were 2 0 up against or Newcastle very recently, lost 3 2. Yeah. Then they beat Chelsea, then they beat Arsenal, then they lost 2-0 to Fulham, who were yeah. already relegated. Yeah. And now they beat Man United 4-0. But they're picking their... Like, is it a case that this is the old... Uh, the Newcastle syndrome under Alan Pardew, that Newcastle players would only play well if their match was televised live. So is that 5... Yeah, maybe. Is that 5.15 or half 12 uh, on a Saturday... They would. And Man United screwed by Sky. Yeah, they would throw. They would turn up, and is that a case with Everton that when they're playing the big shots, they want to show up, which is a problem that Marcus Silva is going to have to deal with. And I think it's something that you might have experienced at Watford previously, and even well, maybe not Hull because it was such a short period of time, but at Watford where they would show up against the big teams and then they would lose points against. Because remember his record against the big teams was amazing. Yeah, I remember they beat Liverpool and they they, they beat Arsenal and Man United yeah. or something like that as well. And it was just the smaller teams that led them being a kind of mid a mid table club. Otherwise, they would have to be up there with like the Leicester era league. That would have been one of the greatest games, yeah, if they yeah. stayed up under Marco Silva. And Mike Phelan, of course, was manager before Marco Silva. So yeah, so he, and know, did, did you hear the news that. today about uh, Mike Phelan? Is he leaving? No, he's not leaving. Mina, uh, there's been a press briefing t- today that Mike Phelan will be appointed technical director at Manchester United. So he's getting the job that like various other players for like Patrice Ever before he 
then a few people have been linked with yeah both in like, and out of the club. yeah like there was some serious like not just Patrice Everett there was some uh, the, serious Juve Monchi was linked for a brief period Monchi the Juve uh, who I forget his name not Morata but the other one uh, Pat- Patrici or something like yeah. that and Paul Mitchell at Orby Leipzig where it was linked with it as well yeah there was um, some... this, but it sounds like Mike Phelan is uh, at least in the running for the the job if not going to get it full time yeah but like that, that the thing is with my feeling like I've seen a lot of people criticising that today uh, yeah Mike more than a feeling to give him his full name uh, I've seen a lot of people criticising this because it does feel like another emotional decision I mentioned at a club where they make too many emotional decisions on enough rational decisions yeah. but the thing is like it doesn't matter who they bring in as technical director because like one man cannot solve this issue this is a two three five six person job like the, the like I've seen people say, oh, they you know they're gonna copy the Man City model, they're gonna copy the Liverpool model, they're gonna copy the Arsenal model. Yeah, but this but is it's this, you sound like England after yeah, every international tournament. Exactly. Like, just, oh, the Dutch are good, we'll copy them. The French are good, we'll copy the Germans, the Spanish. They're but all. But it feels you like you have to find your own way, and maybe this is Manchester United finding their own. Mike Phelan isn't. It's like they're plucking Mike Phelan out of no, ten Yeah, like Mike Phelan. Like Solskjaer. that. That's the thing is like when so, when things were going well for Solskjaer before he was appointed full time manager. I, I, I was kind of wondering, well, why not bring in Pochettino and just keep Solskjaer and move him upstairs? Like, I, I always thought that was maybe... And make him the technical director. Make him a technical... Make him involved with the club because he clearly has an understanding of the club and yeah. he brings up the traditions and all that and he understands the Ferguson methods and stuff yeah. like that. So, like, bring, like, bringing back Mike Phelan was obviously a clever decision by Solskjaer, whoever decided to bring him back in the first place because uh, he left when Moyes came in, I believe. Yeah. Which... But the to bring my point about Mike Phelan is unlike Solskjaer who only has like he has a decent enough record in Norway but at a, at a higher level of, of European football he didn't do that well in Europe and he didn't do very well at all at Cardiff and his form from Cardiff seems this, it's I think it's at it's almost as level as it was at Cardiff I think he's like his win percentage is about the same oh, I, I have no idea uh, but Mike Phelan years at Manchester United years as a coach like that first and foremost apart from being linked to Manchester United as a player and everything like that and being a great servant in that way but you know he was coaching a very well respected coach throughout every job he's been at like Alex Ferguson sung his praise all his fellow coaches at Manchester United Rennie Mullis uh, you can just name them they all loved him and then he did a very good job at Hull under tough circumstances. Yeah, they had like a fourteen players to start that season. Yeah, and, and he took over from you know a, a manager quit. Yeah, Steve Bruce. Steve yeah. Bruce who just quit. I remember they beat Leicester when Leicester yeah. were the champions on the first day. Yeah, exactly, and did okay with it. Like obviously Marco Silva came in and kind of a lot of disquiet came out after. It's like oh this guy actually wants to coach us and stuff like that and tell us how to play football. But that's going into the players today want want to be told exactly what to do and they're they're conditioned in a way that they're from a very young age that they're told they do what they're told and that's it they don't think for themselves and maybe a lot of players at Hull were like that at the time maybe you wouldn't get as many players like that at Manchester United but at the same time you're detracting you're moving feeling away from that direct contact with players which maybe isn't now his strongest point maybe his strongest point now is his ability to connect with other players and managers and coaches and uh, scouts and uh, agents around Europe and using his wealth of knowledge and experience and his you know interaction with the day-to-day management team which is what he'll still have I imagine even if he is upstairs he could still probably he'll be at every other training session probably he'll be in the he'll have hold an office at Carrington 
And I'm sure he'll still travel yeah. when the what tra- not necessarily with the squad, but maybe when there's an away match they he go. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh but the the thing that really uh smells funny about this is the fact that it's come it's been leaked out right after another humiliating defeat. Yeah. And it just feels like every time something goes wrong, I might just try it on the pitch. Edward was very quick yeah, to be like, let's let's just tell the press something to make yeah, the fans happy. Yeah, let's distract it. Let's pure this out. Yeah, because we're talking about this now instead of the fact that they were just absolutely terrible. Well, I, I, I went told that they're not. They weren't that terrible. It's 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 not a coincidence that but, every. But do, to give Everton their dues, you said Everton they've drawn with Liverpool, like earlier in the season. Yeah, they lost recently. Yeah, yeah, they lost, but they drew most recently. They beat Arsenal. They beat Chelsea. All good as a park as well. All good as a park. They beat Manchester United. And maybe it isn't, and they in every one of those performances as well, they made the other team like Arsenal look crap, Chelsea look crap. Yeah, they Liverpool could have beaten Arsenal three or four nil there. You know, they, every one of those teams looked awful against Everton, and maybe Everton were doing something right. And Manchester United, who have played whatever five matches in the last three weeks, maybe were a bit tired. And also, when you've taken the deflation of like, okay, the only thing we were really playing for this season, i.e., the Champions League has been taken away really badly away like you you were outplayed outclassed and not thrown out really and had to travel home then on Thursday to like you know or when, whenever they did travel home I don't know when they travelled home they probably went home immediately on Wednesday really. yeah probably but the, you know maybe they're a bit deflated and that can explain for yeah, some that, of the motivation but then you know that's that's kind of what I was thinking they were going to say next as well. Was like the oh, Solskjaer was the one that said this first, that the players are really lacking fitness. He said this a week or so ago. Uh, I think the Independent were reporting on that. And then uh, I saw quotes today from Michael Keane saying that like Man United's obvious lack of fitness is something that opponents are going to punish them for. Yeah. Like they, That's what they're targeting them at. Mourinho won't like hearing that. Yeah, like that. Yeah. Like this is uh, still a hangover from the Mourinho uh, era when like... That that first four months of the season, May and Idle were consistently last in running statistics yeah. and pressing statistics and any kind of work rate statistics. Yeah. They were always last. But, and how are they so tired now then? Because is it just a case that preseason went that badly, or is it well, like you said earlier, the World Cup? Well, preseason was a disaster. I think like they they have a f- uh, Paul Pogba won the World Cup. They had a few players, English players yeah. that got to the semis and stuff like that. Uh, and then it's just the fact that like when Solskjaer came in, he upped that intensity. Yeah. Uh, without a preseason to do like to get the yeah, players true. acclimatized to that, so then like I I said this back in February, I think that by the end of March they're probably going to fall off a cliff through just through sheer fatigue. They seem to have. <laughs> yeah, and like that seems to be a huge issue for them. And then they're compounded the issue by the fact that Herrera is seemingly injured or at least refusing to play or whatever the whole thing is going on there with well, the contract. Yeah, he's leaving the club. Luke Shaw suspended and Ashley Young is still getting in the side and Phil Jones. <laughs> that's just, that's like, the worst than a suspension or injury. <laughs> well, like, what, what, Ashley Young is just like, when I watched the, the first goal on Wednesday against Barcelona, like, it's just, that is the most calamitous piece of defending I've seen from a player in a long time. And I have watched Mustafi play recently, uh, who no. is another similarly calamitous player. Uh, and similarly cost his side uh, this week uh, against Crystal Palace like th- at least with Man United they got their money's worth to Ashley Young through Ferguson yeah. <laughs> and Arsenal just spent 35 million on yeah. a brick well, not the, even a the, brick wall a brick wall would be more useful I suppose yeah uh, you know he has similar statistics same amount of goals as Virgil van Dijk goals yeah really the and, statistic uh, you're looking for in a, in a defender various other things uh, do you want to move on to Arsenal now? Yeah, Arsenal were very poor against they. Well, to, to give a bit of context, they beat Napoli in midweek. Can, can I just actually congratulate someone here? Who? Uh, Christian Benteke. Oh yeah, first he scored goal his first goal of the season. Three hundred fifty-eight days, I think, was the the yeah. gap. 
Yeah. Saw a joke about a Christian resurrection or something. Yeah, on a Sunday, on Easter on Sunday. Easter Sunday yeah. yeah, it was good. It was good stuff for Christian Benteke, despite him doing very little else in the match and actually missing a couple of chances where he could have gone in the end of something and scored. He didn't actually have a good game, as it turned out. It would have been pretty funny if he scored after he yeah. Uh A couple of points to note about the Arsenal match. Like to put it into context, they beat Napoli in an own like an unimaginative, but you know a solid one 0 victory away, which is something Arsenal not managed to do many times this season. Uh, on Thursday night, came back on Friday morning, straight into a training session. So maybe their fitness wasn't there. They're playing uh, against Wolves midweek. Yeah. So I believe that's w- a tough game for them. Yeah, especially Arsenal, away. Arsenal had a lot of injuries going in, so Leno came back to the side. But then they brought in Mavropanos, who played last week and was sold because he was so bad against uh, Watford. Watford last Monday. And they brought in Carl Jenkinson, who is still at Arsenal despite you know. Been, they've been trying to sell him for two and a half years. He's the last remaining figure in that famous photo with yeah, the banger and all the British. He even outlasted English. banger. Yeah, he yeah, Which okay. is truly the remarkable. No, fair enough. And Jenkinson lives, has lived the dream for himself because he, he scored was the, the world's greatest own goal. He did score one of the greatest own goals ever scored. But, you know, he's lived the dream for. And he's still getting games in the Premier League. He played, yeah, that he was the second again. Premier League start. Like, he's got, he's got games in Europe, but that's the second Premier League start. Licksteiner is nowhere to be seen in that scene, but obviously, Xhaka, the Torreira can't finish 90 minutes. Apparently, from inside the club, it's come out that he's he's crocked and he needs serious like injury treatment, but he's going to work out the rest of the season playing as many minutes as he can because that's the character he is. Uh, Xhaka was injured, so they, they started with the 18 year old or 19 year old, I think he is now, Gwenduzi, and uh, El Neni, who was for sale at Christmas and a last minute transfer away from the club, he's fell through. Still at the club? Yeah, because they, where was he linked to? Besiktas. Besiktas I think oh my god! I just guessed him, that. <laughs> but the same, same reason Dennis Suarez was uh, uh. still at, is was at Arsenal, who, who I think has gone back to Barcelona at least in corporeal state. He's he's still at the club on paper, but I think he's left technically London, yeah uh, for most of the weeks. Anyway, he's like an, an an absent figure at the club. I think he's more Copa del Rey minutes than Premier League minutes yeah. this season. Well, I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, like he, it hasn't worked out for him, like and various other things. But Arsenal have a lot of injury problems through the centre, and that really showed against with the Palace, who kind of looked. It was like a team on summer holiday. They were just kind of playing balls out to the wings, having Zaha, a bit of fun. Yeah, Zaha was having a great time because he's playing against Kyle Jenkinson and. Kalasinac, two two players like Carl Jenkinson. In fairness, this isn't his level, and Kalasinac can't defend and also looked very tired and ropey during the match. So he constantly got around them, and then you had Koscielny who was playing a guy who who had in previous in previous times he had an injury last week last year that ended most like if you had that injury it would end your career, and he came back within about six months from it, and has been playing so many minutes at thirty three years old with a crocked injury getting absolutely you know holding the thing together himself and then shocker on Mustafi alongside him and Mustafi was just one of the terrible performances in, in living memory like Mavropanos was there as well and he didn't play too badly but he got he got yanked at half time as did Carl Jenkinson because I, I said it to you beforehand there was a no like there were five opportunities where Carl Jenkinson was completely open on the right hand side and Mesut Ozil had the ball and Mesut Ozil wouldn't pass it to Carl Jenkinson he just turned around and went back the way and when you when you have you know you see if you ever play football and there's a, a circumstance where you you know in a position to pass the ball to somebody good or somebody bad and you choose to go the harder good route because the bad player is just going to cause you more trouble than it's worth and when that happens you know you've lost it so Arsenal basically came with 10 men in the first half came out fighting the second half came back from 1-0 down draw where I had all the pressure on and then Shocker and Mustafi ball over the top Decided to try and block uh, Zaha. Zaha without actually blocking him. 
just and, kind of put his arms out. Yeah, and then shouted and screamed and gave out to the keeper when the keeper didn't come 10, 15 yards. That's, uh, that's the kind like, of thing that when I see it, I just imagine every other Arsenal player going, I absolutely hate this guy. You see, if it was in isolation, you can forgive the guy, but like this guy, like Shocker Mustafi, has been... He was for sale when Wenger was there. Wenger never wanted to sign him. He was signed by committee because of the, the, the sports zone, pro zone or whatever. The, it was like pro zone or the stat center or whatever uh, statistical sabermetrics uh, company at Arsenal bought and he was considered, oh, this is the Moneyball signing. Chopper Mustafi. Moneyball where they sign a 35 million centre-back. Yeah, yeah. And that was the thing. Oh, this guy will be... Like the Van Dijk kind of... They decided yeah. over Van Dijk because they were interested in, but like when he was at Celtic, I believe, and they decided against him at the time. Oh, that worked out well. And at Southampton as Imagine well, how different Liverpool season would be if Mustafi was their yeah. centre-back. Well, it might have Dijk. worked like former Everton player Chopper <laughs> Mustafi. Um, yeah, you could have... Like the way Arsenal's look is it probably would be the reverse if Mustafi had gone to... Yeah, it'd be... Arsenal fans would be cursing themselves for not getting Mustafi. Yeah. But the, like, but Mustafi has done this time and time again. Like he's been dropped consistently since November whenever he could by Unai Emery. Every time he's been dropped the Arsenal defenders got injured in the subsequent game. And Mustafi is either... Ha- it's not even a case that they've got injured and all oh, the following match you don't play. They get injured and Mustafi has to come on. Do you, think, uh, do you think he's Mustafi... played more second most amount of games this season for Arsenal? What's the what are the name of those dolls again? And when you like pin them, like, uh, voodoo dolls. Do you think Mustafi just has a load of voodoo dolls? I don't know. Or Arsenal players, and he just pokes them every time he gets dropped. He <laughs> maybe maybe in the end. Oh, places. Hector Bellerin, prepare pity about your leg there. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, you know, Mustafi gave it up. Arsenal didn't come back strong enough. They lost the match three two. He was at fault as well. Not as much for a third goal that they scored from a corner that he gave away. <laughs> for no reason but uh, uh, Arsenal ho- were dire in defence and they lost a home game which was meant to be their that was supposed to be their win their, for the yeah, rest of the season the whole, uh, uh, but there is a positive for Arsenal in the Europa League semi-final yeah. that can be their route to the Champions League qualification yeah and like Emery has form in the tournament he's won it three times in the past and you know Arsenal are by far the strongest team left in the tournament I think on form <laughs> Honestly, I will love it if we beat them. Love it. With only seven games left between Liverpool and Manchester City, this title race is almost becoming boring without often these teams just keep winning. Liverpool have already reached a club record of Premier League points on 88 and are on course to reach 97. <laughs> Meanwhile, City's current form could see them pip Liverpool to the title with 98 points. Can title rivals be too good for our own enjoyment? Are they, be- are they the best title contenders ever or have they simply pushed each other in ways that English football has never seen before? And who's going to win this thing? It's very reminiscent of Spanish football at this point where you, you would have seasons like in... Was it in uh, Pellegrini's... One of his seasons at Real Madrid? Was he only there for one season or was there for two? I think he was there for two. I remember one of his seasons like Madrid got 100 points and still didn't win the league because they were against Pep Barcelona at the time and they were the bottom I think that happened to Mourinho as well. Like, I don't think they're at that level of the... You know, the I think they're at that Real Madrid level. Of the, under Pellegrini where th- this is a, a collection of very good players all working in tandem all working to the right cause scoring goals well and you know pu- using their own advantages to their best strengths or using their own strengths to their best advantage but I think it's more they're not necessarily the best teams there but I think the rest of the league have been the rest of the league has been undermined by the the kind of and you don't want to say it's bad quality because it isn't necessarily bad quality but I think there is a, quite a parity between the different sections of the league like we were talking about the top four race there, I think there's quite parity between third to sixth place. I think every team in there is roughly the same. They all have weaknesses and flaws, but they all also can 
put together good runs and have exceptional individual players that can do so. The likes of Paul Pogba, the likes of Eden Hazard, the likes of Christian Eriksen, Christian Eriksen, of Ozil, of Harry Kane. Those players are exceptional and can do amazing things, but they also are sub. You know, Hugo Lloris controlling the ball, Mustafi controlling the ball, Phil Jones, Ashley Young, it's like, on his face. Yeah, all of those players can like throw in the ball like for them, and we don't need to speak more or more at Chelsea, but there's plenty of mistakes in that team as well. And then the, the the secondary level below then the you know the race for seventh as we've called it multiple times and we'll have to have a deeper dive into it but currently Everton are leading that race but Everton to West Ham they're all in that kind of zone of yeah every one of those teams you could imagine finishing above each other and beating each other and beating everyone below them in the league and putting a good to get run together they're not going to challenge the Champions League but they are going to be in that zone and underneath and then you have the relegation teams and they're all roughly at the same level with the exception of Huddersfield who last season were at that level so it's a kind of just a drop off in their form that has resulted them in being so far adrift Fulham have just mistakes in them all over the place but like Cardiff have shown that they're punching above their weight and have played a solid they're competent football. exactly Brighton are competent Newcastle are competent like there's no real like Aston Villa when they got relegated or Sunderland year after year after year or you know those teams that kind of oh yeah you just you're bad or Swansea last season or most of last season where they're just you're bad you're going to get relegated yeah you you've been bad for a couple of years now you've pulled yeah. off a few flukes now just go down yeah exactly like the turd that never flushes exactly so there there like there is a there is a and that reminds me very much of that team around 2010 11 or 9 10 11 in, in Spain the that league in Spain where they were winning Europa leagues I think Sevilla were winning and. Uh, Atletico Madrid I think might have won Valencia and they were around there yeah like there were teams that were competing at every front of European football but still not getting close to Barcelona Real Madrid and it wasn't necessarily because they were that far behind it was just like they had players that took them to that next level and brought them ahead and obviously Barcelona were that far ahead but the Real Madrid team weren't that superstar huge way they had Ronaldo but the rest of the team was very functional the thing as well that reminds me of and it's not 100% analogous is that Manchester City remind me of a bit of Roger Federer yeah. when he first came not necessarily first came on the scene when he first started winning it was like he'd win Grand Slams there was no one really at his level it was pretty comfortable yeah. that was Man City last year they just were so comfortable it was like 19 points clear in my United yeah. or whatever it was or 18 it was just incredibly easy for him and then Liverpool now are Rafa Nadal coming for Wimbledon they, you know he, Rafa, they played two Wimbledon finals I think it was and Federer was just a better player yeah. And now this is that third Wimbledon final and Liverpool are coming for Manchester City. Nadal's coming for Federer. And, but the problem is, though, is that they don't have that, that actual meeting at that Wimbledon final because yeah. they played in January, which yeah, is kind of why this tot race has become kind of boring because it's like... They don't have direct confrontation. They don't, yeah, and like there's no big meeting at the end of April that we're all waiting yeah. to. It's like, oh, any drop points before, then it'll be massive. And yeah. it just feels like Man City will win now... Uh, Liverpool but win the, a straight sets another straight sets win another straight yeah, sets win they're, and they're competing in, 98, in the isolated worlds yeah. but in some ways that's better because that's the league and it, it suits Man City because you know Man City are not a cup team Liverpool are a cup team so it suits Man City to have it in that way but at the same time that's what a league is a league shouldn't come down to this playoff type of match that you're speaking of at the end of April it often does because of the way calendars happen and the way you know TV stations want things to be like I think if Sky would have their they probably maybe didn't think that this league would go this way. Yeah, if someone was actually writing a script out of this season, yeah. they would be playing this weekend. Yeah, exactly. You know, so, But to bring it back to your original point, like not about the quality of the league, and I don't think it is up there. These aren't the best teams that have ever played in Premier League. I think it's just uh, 
the the fact that they get hit such huge record points tallies is a kind of a symptom of the that fractured that fractured level of quality in the league that there's two teams clearly ahead of four teams below who are clearly ahead of five teams below that who are clearly ahead of everybody else yeah what, what's really interesting for me is because like if you go back 20 years ago Manchester United won the league with 79 points yeah but that team would still be considered one of if not the best Premier League sides ever yeah because like obviously they went, went on and won the treble or whatever yeah. and that Arsenal team that they competed with that would ultimately become yeah. the Invincibles a few years down the line and won the league title before or the year before and a couple of years later were also amazing would go down as one of the great Premier yeah. League sides but Arsenal got 78, 77 points yeah. both of the both Man City and Liverpool already surpassed that amount and that's where it comes into the balance of the whole league comes into it as well but you have to remember the team that came last that year would probably destroy Huddersfield now and like it's just a weird balance there because I'm not sure if they would like I think it's it, it well maybe they would because no I don't I actually don't I disagree I think the Huddersfield team now would batter probably that Manchester United side because and this is uh, like correct me if I'm wrong or disagree with me if you want but football moves and advances in a way that the tactics and strategies being employed today are far in excess of the ones that Alex Ferguson and Arsene Wenger employed in 1999. For instance, if we're if we're using that as an analogy to it, if you go back and watch matches from even that invincible season two thousand four, or even Mourinho's first Chelsea league winning side in two thousand five, that like that Mourinho one is the start of the football that's played now in the Premier League. Back then, it was a wild west. But no, it was but it wasn't controlled at all. It was very fractured. It was very two men in midfield. We don't care about controlling midfield. We want to control the attacking third. We don't care about controlling the base and the creation and making chances that way and most teams not all but most teams would also compete so even the team that got relegated in who did Sunderland and Bolton get relegated in 1999 I can't quite remember I think it was Bolton no Sunderland didn't they got promoted but uh, I think Bolton might have I can't remember who else I can't remember but the teams that would go out and they'd play Manchester United would go out and try and play Manchester United which is not what you do like <laughs> and if they didn't they'd get the manager you don't know what you're doing they would get roundly criticised if you went out and played a completely defensive style of football and I don't mean just play long balls because that was allowed everyone you know big Sam type of tactics but I mean what they do today which is play two banks of like two banks of five but what I, what I really mean is that the gap between whoever did come last year I can't quite remember and my night at the top is smaller now than it is between Man City and Huddersfield currently yeah. Yeah, and that that's fair enough, but I think that again that's down to the evolution of tactics and strategy. Like obviously, yeah, obviously you can't. Because Huddersfield don't try. Like if they try, they, they do try. That's not right. They don't try and beat Manchester City. They don't go try to do toe to toe Manchester City because they know they won't. So the people have it's almost a, a realization in their own heads that oh I can't win. I'm not going to try and compete with these teams. And the result of that, a lot of the battles, you know, a lot of Man City and Liverpool's victories are won before the match is even kicked off. Teams are expecting to lose. And managers are drilling that into them. Like even, even Neil Warnock, an old school manager who would prefer to play football akin to what was played in nineteen ninety nine, where you would have to compete with the team you're against, often speaks like about you know oh, we're just not going to try against Chelsea or against Man, uh, Man City. No, but there, or, that that did exist in the nineties as well. Like Roy Keane has often talked about like just being able to sniff it in the in the tunnel. Like, yeah, oh, but we, you we've got these. You didn't have it so explicitly. That that would be more of an inter- like the players would know, and that has always happened. I'm sure you know that like players aren't feeling that day. And you have a bad days, and other players can pick up on that. But I mean, managers setting the team out that we're going to lose this match, and we'll take that defeat, and we'll take a heavy defeat. We don't care. We're going to we're competing against Wolves next week. We might have a better chance against Wolves. 
Was it Ian Holloway or Mick McCarthy that would? Or no, it was Ian Holloway. Mick that McCarthy made... got fined for putting out. Uh... That that was the League Cup though. Like, league he, Ian Holloway did the Premier League. Yeah, and nearly beat Man United. I think it was uh, yeah. that he rested players against. But the, it happens. It happened, and it continues to happen all the time. Like, I think that's why there's such a gap between first and last. But it, it goes as we said earlier. It goes around in cycles. I'm sure that we will return to an era where there will be. A, a closer gap between like you have it in Germany in the Bundesliga you've had it return time and time again when you think that oh this kind of dominant top of the league team which you do have in Bayern Munich generally speaking in Germany would just swipe aside the team in the bottom of the league of the Bundesliga team in 18th but you do get it time and time again that a team that can finish 18th one season get relegated and re-promoted to the Bundesliga will challenge like the Europa League places in Germany or something like that and you don't have that in the Premier League that often. Like you do get one, you know, story like Wolves this season, for instance, or you know, in, in the past Leicester or something like that. Or Reading, I remember. Or Reading, 2007, yeah. yeah. Newcastle under Alan Pardew, like coming up straight up and doing something, and like, oh, this is a this is a story. But in Germany, it's more routine because there isn't such a gap between first and last because the teams actually okay. We can compete on players like. Uh, I think Stuttgart, like Stuttgart, are probably not a good example at the moment, but they're they're down the dumps at the moment in Germany. Um, like the the players at Stuttgart aren't going to say, okay, we're playing Hoffenheim in a couple of weeks. I don't think Hoffenheim are that much better than us, even though they have a better league. I could be completely wrong because I forget Hoffenheim weren't doing that well the last time I checked. So maybe not a good a good example, but like Leipzig, you know, Leipzig aren't that. They don't have like every player at Leipzig isn't better than every player at our club. We're going to have a go at them now. If you're at Brighton or you're at Huddersfield or Cardiff you're like well every player at uh, Man City Man City is better than every player we have like Ederson probably do a better job in midfield than our midfield you know you have that type of thing and like there is a dichotomy there and you don't have that self-belief that maybe the, the players in Germany have or they're taught to it's much more okay we're going to lose this match and we're going to lose it quickly and that kind of has crept in I think it was a lot more prevalent in Spain and Portugal in years gone by where Getafe would be playing around well Getafe's not a good example but you have like Deportivo or Valencia would be playing against the top league team like whether it's Barcelona or Real Madrid and they go down or Celta Vigo for instance they go down one nil like okay we're, we're going to lose this match yeah the first accept, goal was the end of the game yeah, yeah. they'd accept, the, they'd accept it then and that was it and that's why the likes of Real Madrid Barcelona they were the first teams to really start kicking that 100 point limit every season yeah, you and Napoli kind of pushed that in last now, year. Now it's happened. It's it's spread into Italy. It's definitely spread to England. It's obviously spread to France with PSG for different reasons. Yeah, but the, but Germany's the last holdout, I think, for this at the moment. But even Pep at Bayern hit ninety yeah, points. Yeah, you see, but, so you have, but but that's not because that's because you have a primate team in Germany where you have Bayern Munich that hoovers up like PSG, hoovers up all the other talent, swipes all opposition down, and say, "Oh, you can't do anything about it." Celtic. <laughs> Yeah, well, Celtic. Although Celtic, I don't think mathematically can get a hundred points because of the weird system they have in Scotland. Oh, poor, poor Celtic. But I think they need to win like every game. Is it or only something. eight league titles they've won in a row now? Yeah, only the eight or something. Yeah, they need to get to the like, ten yeah. to beat the the record held by both clubs. That'll be some year if it happens. <laughs> aside from from Celtic talk, I th- I think that's the. the but difference. but over the last uh, I'd say six weeks now, both of us have talked about the run in, and we've both yeah. been adamant that these sides will. Lose I, points. I still think they will. I think they're going so to. So you think like Man United could easily get a draw out of the match on Wednesday? So you, so you don't think it'll be 98 no. to win it? I still think both teams and and don't be surprised if both teams drop points 
and it mightn't even be on the same weekend, which would really screw everyone up, that you'll get a week of, if say for instance, hypothetically, Man City lose to Manchester United on Wednesday. You will have a week and of... And that's their game in hand, done and yeah. dusted. And you have a week of Manchester City haters, for lack of a better word, or Liverpool fans, which they're not necessarily... In the, they're, it's not a Venn there diagram. Is, there is a Venn diagram yeah. there, but they're not the centre yeah. of it. But you'll have a lot of think pieces and papers and you have a lot of people talking and there'll be a certain b word thrown out or a certain c word thrown yeah, out but like no, bottles and chokes and yeah and they'll all be talking oh this and liverpool they're going to finally win after 29 years win their league title and bring it up to 19 and be only one behind manchester united again and win their first premier league title in the premier league era you know since it became the premier league all of that sort of stuff and then liverpool will go out and maybe not even next week maybe the week after they go out and lose a random match like i forget who they're playing in two weeks time newcastle newcastle they're, they're, not, to, they're not losing newcastle. no they're yeah but they could i i don't think this team is good enough to it's not if, if newcastle is, beat liverpool raf Mijes will like be so angry so the best teams in premier league era which we will come back to and do a full show on best teams in premier league era that would you just swipe aside times so you have to look at the one of the, the man united sides between 99 2001 yeah, probably the la the near like two thousand two thousand and one probably would be when Nisroy was there. Yeah, and you know that was the real like Teddy Sheringham was just on his way down. Colin York was still there. She, uh, Solskjaer was there. Keane was there. Beckham was there. Scholes was there. Gig like you can name almost every player in the team. Like Bartes was like at least they had a semi competent goalkeeper <laughs> at that point. That was probably the best Manchester United because oh, I remember every if Manchester United didn't win and win comfortably, it was news. That was like they won the league by eighteen points. In yeah, that, that's that, what that I mean. Season. It's like nobody can come close to them. They beat everyone. Similarly, and I don't think they won it by that much. But when Ronaldo, Tevez, Rooney up front for Manchester United. Yeah, they were always involved in a title race. Uh, yeah, but it was but, always but like they were always the best. They were team. a dominant team yeah. in the league, and like the Invincibles, and are, they won in Europe both yeah, those teams. Exactly, and then Arsenal's Invincibles, and w- one of Mourinho's probably. Mourinho's 2016 which kind of won at a canter I think they got the record points total uh, 2005 I think they got the record points total well I think it was maybe the following season when it was kind of they were expected to win and they had the best players and everything like that and Man City last year you probably have to say yeah. like they are probably the most dominant like the teams in the 90s were a bit hit and miss like it, you can make an argument like for Blackburn. 98 or yeah you can make an argument for 98 or the you don't win anything with kids 96 team yeah but like, they're they're like B tier. If you're, you're like yeah. if you're gonna say you could well, separate them into football different tiers. has evolved to a level like none of those teams would have won in the eighties. From well, they would have because their more fitness is better and everything like that. But like player for player, the eighties teams that won in the eighties were better. So yeah, they're the most dominant teams in Premier League history. Like I don't think either of these teams are up there at all. They're up there with like the man. They're better than Man City under Mancini that won the league. They're better than the Pellegrini Man City team that won the league. They're better than later day Ferguson team. Like, that won uh, the league I, can't, I can't remember who it was that said this now, but someone said that this is the best Liverpool Premier League side ever. Like, are they better than Rafa Benitez's Liverpool side? Like, they got more points than them. I can, I can understand. Like, that. I, I would say that they're better than Brendan Rodgers' team. But yeah. That's just because they're more Yeah, you, you probably have to say, like, I don't know if they're better than the Spice Boys because they were just exciting and they kind of, they were an incomplete side, but, like, if they could get everyone on the field at the same time, I think that, you know, Steve McMahon and Robbie Fowler, Michael Owen laterally, Stan Collymore early on, uh, Jamie Redknapp, and, like, Razor Ruddock and David James. You know, you had... Razor Ruddock, not quite like the rest of those players. Like, and Ian Rush was still hanging around there. And, you know, you, you had a lot of different... John Barnes was still hanging around there. You had a lot of different... Uh, no, that was... Uh, that. I that think was that was after, after yeah. But like around the ninety six time, 
you know that Liverpool team was pretty good and kind of just fell apart because they didn't have the right mentality about them. But yeah, I, I wouldn't necessarily vote against this Liverpool's current Liverpool side being their best ever in Premier League era, certainly. That, yeah, they're obviously they, not better than the size are, of the 80s. No, no, not at all. But like they have a competent goalkeeper, which is something Liverpool have not had. Like I never thought that much of Pepe Reina. I know a lot of Liverpool fans love him. But like I never thought he was... I think he was liable for a mistake he made, high-profile mistakes. Yeah, like the one he against Everton. He, yeah, he had great, and I think his his calm, like his assuredness and calm under pressure is is unlike most keepers I've ever known. Like he, the way he would compose himself in Champions, remember the Champions League semi-finals and stuff like that, and was completely cool as a cucumber and very confident and all that. That was fantastic. But his shot stopping, I always thought was a bit like wayward. And Westerfeld and Dudek and James even before them, they were never that good. Like they, they haven't had like even like Scrabble wasn't a great it, keeper. It's not often you could say Liverpool are the best keeper in the league, but you could make that argument. This yeah, season. you could make that argument. Like uh, like and Allison isn't perfect, he's made mistakes this season, but he has such he's a big unit. He has presence. He's a presence, yeah. He leads he commands that defence and with Van Dyke they have an authoritative defence for the first time and like I don't Jamie Carragher, I think there's been a lot of um how would you say if there's been a lot of uh, revisionism done about Jamie like Jamie Carragher was never that commanding as a defender he never marshaled people he was a quiet guy who went about his business he was very much a Liverpool centre-back yeah like he, I don't think he was that like all oh, this inspirational leader he was a bit like Joel Matip kind of yeah like he did, his, he, did his, he did his stuff like but this Liverpool defence now has a, it, it, and it's something that always was missing they didn't have that full full body like Jamie Carragher wouldn't get into this Liverpool I don't think he does. No, I don't think he don't have the physicality or the footballing ability to get into this defence. Uh, even with the injuries Liverpool have had. Uh, he scored a lot of own goals. Like, yeah. yeah, that was that was But then like I think they don't have like the controlled midfield they once had. Like if they had a Steve McMahon figure or even a Steven Gerrard figure. Even a Xavi Alonso. Yeah, or Xavi Alonso. That w- or you know, I think that would be the that is the missing puzzle in this piece. Like someone in like Adam Lana's style but actually of a world class quality that is what the Liverpool side is missing because they're getting the goals up front they're doing things and Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain perhaps no, no I don't think Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain that, le- that level if they had someone to the likes of um, like I don't want to say Paul Pogba because I don't think he mis- Patrick Berger is who I think a former Liverpool player and Steve McMahon someone of that ilk who like an Eden Hazard or uh, even a, even a Tony Kroos or a Mesut Ozil type of you know creative playmaker which is something they don't have Jordan Henderson, a Philip Coutinho, that. perhaps. Yeah, maybe a Philip Coutinho. That is what is separating them from being, I think, unstoppable in both league and Europe at this season. But I, they could yeah, still do the double at the end of the they day. They could, they could, and they're on course for it. But like, if they do what they're going to do, like if they win all of the remaining matches, I like they will probably. Well, they would certainly win the Champions League. And they would probably win the league given that Man City are going to drop points one way or the other between now and the end of the season. Though I do expect them to still win the league. I don't I say if I was to make a prediction now, 90, 94, 93 points. In favour of City. In favour of City. Yeah, that's that's not like that's that's still a really impressive talent. Oh yeah. And for two teams to hit over ninety is it's de- like depressing for the team that finished second because it's very reminiscent of uh, when for Liverpool fans particularly I think when Benitez finished second uh, under behind Manchester United he had more points that season than the previous season's champions had got oh did they yeah so it was like th- that was depressing on their you know behalf 
Yeah. But I th- and that could happen again, obviously not last season, but almost every other year that would be more than enough to win you a league title. Yeah, it would be the high, like they're one point off the highest total a second place has ever gotten. Yeah. Which was uh, United under Ferguson, yeah. Manu Guerrero, with the Aguero, yeah. yeah. Which is like. That was unprecedented at the time. It like was. That. But even then, if we wanted to, like, like that, that kind of makes my own point for me. That that season, you had a, a limited enough Manchester United side on the way down. No Ronaldo. You know, it was an aging squad. Clearly eight, past his prime. Phil Jones was playing most games. Johnny Evans was knocking about. Yeah, like, not, not the best. Like, who was in calls for them, even? Uh, that was Van der Sar's last oh, season. Oh, that was Van der Sar. Uh, like, they weren't the best. They were focused on Europe a lot in that season as well. Yeah, got to a Champions League final. Yeah, you know, that's that's something that has to be said, you know, for dropping points at crucial time in April because you're playing Champions League semi-finals. Um, but all, like, that Man City team and that Man United team both got 80, what, 88 points? 89. 89 points. And like hugely high totals that's a, a combined whatever if I could add 178 170 yeah 178 points between them like crazy numbers when you actually think about it over a Premier League season but both of those teams were limited were aged were poor like that Man City side should never have been near a title and it was just the case of like like we said earlier and we gave the whole justification for it they get like the, the teams that they play against half of them will lose the match before they're on the field and that adds the three points and the three points and the three points, and then you the play the teams below them will throw up you know bad performances here and there, and then the gap will develop further and further. And as long as you get a good run of games together, winning games together, you can rack up huge points total. And I think that's proof that you don't have to be a phenomenal world beating historic team to get a high points total. Both two teams who got it that season, neither of them will be remembered in five years' time. <laughs> I don't know he won. He can't take it, can he? He can't take it. He just can't take it because we've out tactics him, we've outwitted him. Uh, you know what I mean? He just can't cope, can he? Like you know. So. Well, we've got a very exciting week ahead of uh, of football, and I think I've decided that I know what match I'll be watching this weekend. There's a huge, crucial match at the top of the table. Oh, yeah. between two sides who this match means everything to them it defines their season you know it's the difference between it's the difference between you know the players being heroes and the players being nothing yeah Sunderland play Portsmouth on Saturday 3 o'clock kick off rematch Re, yeah rematch of the, the chicken trade trophy final will this <laughs> one go to penalties yeah, it should the Portsmouth do have a game in hand so you know if they win their game in hand which happens after the Sunderland match they can go to the automatic promotion places it will be huge for Portsmouth to, to be just reversing on up back that poppy highway, as they call yeah. it. Whereas Sunderland, they're very much down the Sunderland highway. At the moment, yes. <laughs> the, uh, so, a crucial match there in League One. Uh, I don't think there's anything else going on. <laughs> no, I don't think so. I think that's the end of the, that's the, end of the show. Yeah. <laughs> uh, actually, midweek, there is a Manchester Derby, which you seem to think Man United can pull off a result. I have no, no, I, no I, I don't. I actually, I actually don't. I just said it's possible that Man City can drop points. Man and City. I expect them to drop points between now and the end of the season. But if I were to call a match where they were going to drop points, this one against Manchester United <laughs> is not the that least one. likely one that they drop points in. Because Manchester United... You, like we I spoke won't about say them earlier, they, they were bad. That, yeah, I'm not gonna. Like I don't necessarily agree that they were that terrible. I think they've been part of the course of the last few weeks. You raised the point that they had terrible fitness levels, and that the fact that they're playing like five matches in three weeks can't be helping that. Yeah, those players are tired. They yeah, deserve then, a bit of a break. Yeah, and now they're going to play Man City, who were charging towards the title, and you know, given that they've 
quadruple hopes have been dashed the least they can get do is hope for a domestic treble which is on still and probably will get if they win the league title so over under uh, four Manchester City no but over under four goals will they get more oh sorry I thought you meant four who um Oh, wonder. Four, four wonder. is my number. Because, um, like, I think there will be a bit of revenge on the mind for Pep, and but this Pep might overthink it again. We don't know. But after last season's debacle, where Man City should have won the league against Manchester United, but, and that away. was at the Etihad. This is at Old Trafford now. Yeah, so. but I don't think I don't think that matters as much. I think Man City will be laser focused on this match, and they will win it probably two 0 Is what I'd imagine. I think I expect Man United to have a response given how badly they've been beaten the last few weeks. But I don't expect it to be enough, and I expect that to probably probably significantly harm Manchester United's hopes of getting Champions Kill it, effectively. Like, I don't necessarily want to say that, because they still, you know... They never say never and all yeah, that. Because, well, because in the top four, there's whatever. one was a, Two points separating four teams at the moment in the top four. Well, I think Man United are five points off now. Oh, are they? I think they. I thought they were only two points off. I think they've fallen off a bit now. Maybe it depends on the Chelsea results uh, that we don't no, know. No, they're the... only two points behind. Are they only two points? Yeah, behind? there's only two points separating. My God, this uh, top four oh, battle is ridiculous. There's two points off fourth. Sorry, they're, yeah, they're three points off third. Oh right, <laughs> so, like that makes a huge amount of difference. Yeah, so if they win that match, they could potentially be in third place. Potentially. Potentially. It all depends uh, on Chelsea as well. Well, yeah, I, I do expect them to. Uh, then on Tuesday, Tottenham are uh, playing Brighton. Yeah, Brighton are still fighting for their lives, in fairness. Uh, it's got a very crucial point uh, at Wolves at yeah, the weekend. Yeah, it's only. Well, I, like. They are. They're four, three points, four points. Three ahead. points clear with a game in hand. This is that game in and hand. And that's yeah. the game in hand. Like, yeah, like Southampton are still in there as well. But I. Okay, yeah, with Brighton, I, I. You think a Tottenham victory? Yeah. And then I think, Wolves, Tottenham Wolves default, I think Tottenham will probably drop points between now and the end of the season, but not in a week where they're not playing Champions League football. But what about Bright- or Wolves, Arsenal? Then, uh, Arsenal the actually have to win that because if they don't win that, saying that we had a discussion before the match and we're working it out that, like, given that most likely, because Man United are playing Chelsea in the week, I don't know if we're going to talk about it. Yeah, well, we can talk about that, yeah. Yeah, that I expect that would be the match the Manchester United might be more focused on because it, one it harms their rivals which is very important for the Champions League hopes and also you know it's still a big match they could win and keep everything on the toe do you think we'll see any uh, any of the kids uh, at Old Trafford over the next couple of games no on the pitch I like the same as he's been doing a few minutes here a few minutes there I don't think they're going to matches I, I kind of would like to see him just throw out some kids I, I always think that's the like, best thing to do yeah. I, don't, I don't know why Every one of the teams in the top four are right I, I think are doing that. Man United are the more likely one too, just with Solskjaer in charge. I don't think I think you're 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 aligning a lot to Solskjaer there. He doesn't have any more of a reputation for blowing youngsters at any of the other clubs he was at. It's just the the rhetoric the he's had over the last yeah, four but months. he's he it's the, the kind of thing, thing that he'd do just so he could. I love going up. to the New Camp because I score late last minute goal. You know, yeah, I mean, I score corners at New Camp or stuff yeah, like that. Yeah, like like being oh, I don't know what the boss, the boss being Alex for like you're you're talking about. Like you're you're digging up memories to try and it's a very political move that he's making, being very uh using emotive language or emotive memories, and I think he needs to stop doing that as soon as uh, possible. It, I sound, think he it, did. Sound, it sounds like he has slowed it down yeah. a little. Again, like he was very, like without he didn't throw anyone under the bus in, in his post match press conferences after. Yeah, he didn't name any names. Didn't he name any names. So wasn't good enough. Like I think he was he went a bit too far in some regards because 
I don't think there's any point in it's only like I know like everyone was like very critical of it and though this Manchester United side is this and Gary Neville giving his impassioned opinion on who to get rid of Manchester United but you you said it's a bigger thing than one match it's a bigger thing than a few players here or a few players there it is uh, like to get football right especially in this day and age where you're expecting instant results and consistency in results and you're expecting to win every single match if you don't win a match it's a crisis like it, you you can you have to have a step back and have a bigger picture of everything and I think that's what Solskjaer is starting to do I think f- just from his post-match stuff the way he's talked about next season and how he wants to do pre-season and you know the way he wants to play like he's talked a lot more about his grander plan since, since he's been appointed which has gone on you know because everyone's focusing on this oh New Camp 99 stuff and him talking about Alex Ferguson again and you know, he's still doing that, but he, he is also about this other stuff, and I think that's what he wants to build towards, and I I can see different things happening in their future that may help him in that case. I still, I'm still confident that my prediction that, which has half come through now, that he would get pointed as... Yeah, you've got half a point there, I think we can, we'll give yes, you that. he's been appointed as Manchester United manager, I believe, and he is crashing and burning as we speak. Though I think he will get the summer and... Oh, it's good. Yeah, he's definitely getting This is summer. a Bobby DiMatteo appointment. <laughs> yeah, when was DiMatteo sacked by November, I think. Yeah, maybe. It was, it, it, he should have been sacked. They, they were out of the Champions League by the time yeah. he was sacked. If they lost to West Brom after that. Yeah, it's always West Brom. Yeah, for whatever reason. Uh, they'll have to get promoted just so sorry he can get sacked. <laughs> uh, but then, uh, what's the other... Leicester against Arsenal as well as the, who they play in the midweek or at the weekend after Wolves. Yeah, Arsenal. Two crucial away games for them, yeah. given like, their away record. Yeah, Arsenal have to win at least one of these matches. They can afford to lose one more match now at the end of the season. They have two away games. Three? Four. Three, yeah, they go away to Burnley on the final away, day. They have three away games. They can afford to lose two, so they're going to have to win one of these matches. And then beat Brighton is their and, own match. Yeah, you expect them to beat Brighton. Because but Brighton is in a nice home match because they're a team that cares in a way. That yeah, maybe Newcastle is True, true, true. Absolutely. But you'd hope that half point Brighton would be safe because all Brighton have to do is get two points. From two. Yeah. Brighton have so. two matches in that time and like Cardiff. Cardiff if they beat Tottenham, them. I'd say they're safe. Oh yeah, but that's a big if. Yeah, and then, well, like Brighton happen. should have beaten Tottenham earlier in the season if you remember it was a terrible rainy day and I think a penalty yeah I vaguely away. remember that yeah. like that was a good performance for Brighton and I think if they had won that match their season would be a lot different right now and they'd be up and around 12th place but as it turned out it was a kind of a start of a downward trickle because they didn't lose that many matches in a row after that but it kind of that's what started their downward Decline, trajectory yeah. yeah and then uh, we spoke obviously about me being kind of bored by the title race Liverpool, Liverpool play Huddersfield on Friday yeah. so 4-0 there could happen yeah well that would be my instant expectation and then uh, could Man City are away at Burnley safe Burnley yeah I think Man City will win both matches I think their last two matches yeah. are where they might put off points uh, and that seems to be that then uh, you're, all the European leagues are kind of done on PSGU they officially crown champions Barcelona are two victories away yeah Bayern are just Chugging along there at the top of Bundesliga, the yeah, only close Dortmund making race. it very hard <laughs> for themselves to still be in that race, making the hard work of every single. Yeah, Jane Sancho still playing well though. Yeah, nice. but the whole Dortmund side are kind of showing their frailties of being a bunch of kids and not having many senior pros there to kind of. They'll be back, together. back with a vengeance. No, they won't. The, the, the team will just be sold and they'll start again, and they'll probably be back then at that point. For, for, They'll be back with a vengeance, but except for none of the players will feel revenge because they just signed for the club. Yeah, <laughs> and it'll be five years later. Oh, I signed for AZ Alkmaar. Where did you come from? Yeah. <laughs> Came from Tottenham. Oh, uh, oh. Uh, so yeah, that'll, that'll do us for this week. A little busy episode this week. A lot of a lot of stuff we got through. A lot of Ajax chat. 
I still don't know. Uh, no, no real good uh, names for the episode popped out. So, listener, have you have any ideas? <laughs> what should we call this episode? <laughs> uh, so yeah, that, that's us. That's our lot for this week. We'll be back next week. Thank you for being here, and Andrew. Thank you for having me. Too. And uh, hopefully, we get some good football in the next week. Or so. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, then don't forget you can tell family and friends about the show. Spread the word of the Total Football Takeover. You can also follow us on social media at the TF Pod on Twitter and Total Football Pod on Instagram. You can also be found on podcast services including Spotify by searching Total Football Podcast. The more the merrier. That's what we always say.